0: Welcome to the Improvement Nerds podcast where it's our goal to bring together a bunch of Improvement Nerds in order to start an improve evolution by providing people with a new tool set, a new skill set, and a new mindset. We're grateful that you're spending time with us today. If you enjoy what you hear, please follow our podcast and subscribe because there's sure to be good content that occurs in these conversations as we nerd out. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Improvement Nerds. This is your host, Tom West. Excited to be having a conversation today with Nick Smiralli. Nick Smiralli is the CEO of GoodellNet. He's been with that organization for 10 years. During his tenure, him and his leadership team, along with founder Joe Goodell, have grown that organization and led it to achieve great milestones. Over the last seven years, it has been identified by Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies. It's also one of the top places to work in Indianapolis. It's also among the top 50 management services companies in the country. Nick and his team are on a roller coaster, to say the least. To support this growth, Nick focuses in on his culture and tries to instill in them important values that will help them to achieve results and to leave a lasting impact through their work. Outside of his role as the CEO, Nick stays busy with endurance sports. He's a multi-time Ironman finisher. Currently, he's training for an ultra. He's done a handful of distances over the marathon distance. Uh, Recently, he was focusing on a 100K race, which has been postponed due to the COVID-19. However, he's not wavering on that commitment. Nick continues to train hard and push himself to the limits. He's recently climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. And in all of his free time, he started a podcast called Zero Excuses. Nick's a very busy person, to say the least, which is why I'm grateful that he's decided to swing by today and share his experience with us and to share his story. This is something that Nick regularly does. You can find Nick being very active on LinkedIn. He talks a lot about corporate social responsibility and does a lot of public speaking. His message is a critical one, and I'm glad that he's stopping by to share it with us today. All right, Improvement Nerds, I'm here with a special guest. Uh, Nick Smarelli will be joining us, and we're going to be nerding out together, so I'll bring him on in one second, but I do want to tell a quick story uh, about Nick and I's past and how our families got to know each other. So Nick and I you know, met through the endurance racing community, also through some of my work. I partnered with his organization and helped them uh, get started on their lean journey, and Every time he and I got together, we'd, you know, we'd talk about our families and we were committed to getting our wives together and we just never were able to make these things happen. And it was May of last year, Carolyn and I were traveling out in San Francisco. I was supporting an organization out there and we took a long weekend and we went to Yosemite Valley. And as we're out there enjoying the the sights and going through the park, uh, we're going up to... Uh, one of the trailheads, and I missed the park entrance or the parking lot entrance. So I blow past that and I end up going in through the exit. And my wife looks over to me. She's like, what are you doing? There's a car parked right there. They're going to think you're an idiot. And I told her, I'm like, there's no way we're ever going to see that person again. And like, no sooner had I said those words, I looked up and like made eye contact with this individual that when he looked at me, I knew he knew me and I knew that I knew him didn't think anything of it, but we go, we park our car and we go out and we take a photo and this individual comes and meets us up there. And, uh, of course that that individuals, Nick, you were out there with your family and it just proved to me that the world is so small. And, um, if you're going to act like an asshole, you you can't ever get away with anything because people, you know, are all over this world. So I guess I have to just be better behaved when I travel. But running into you at the park was an absolute blast. That was
1: one of the coolest, I would say, stories in terms of just totally serendipitous run-ins. Especially considering that we couldn't figure out a way to get our wives together when we lived four minutes away. And yet we had to fly to California, be in the middle of a... I mean, again, we weren't in a main thoroughfare of the park either. And again, I think the story is hysterical. But ended up being a great 48-hour special. We ruined your date trip, but... Um, it ended up being a a great time.
0: No, we had already been away from our kids since that uh, Tuesday because I think we ran into you guys on like a either Friday or a Saturday. So Carol and I were feeling homesick a little bit. So just being around your family and your little ones like definitely allowed us to connect again because we were we were homesick and not only had I been away from them since Tuesday when I was leaving from the park, I was gonna be flying to New Mexico and it was gonna be another two weeks before I saw the boys. So just being out there with your family was an absolute blast. I I'm glad that we ran into each other and like you know, the girls as we predicted, they hit it off. It was like you and I didn't even exist after they met each other.
1: And that was the best part is just kind of seeing Again, I like when you predict these relationships and you think, oh, this is going to be great. And then they actually kind of manifest into to something fantastic. So um, and now the kids are friends and the, obviously the wives are friends and even their families are closer together. So um, just kind of a neat, a neat origin story about kind of how kind of two, just two paths kind of cross and, and make some fun things happen.
0: Yes. Yeah. So in your and I's relationship, you know, while hiking or getting together over coffee and stuff, we've nerded out about a lot of things. And I'm excited that we're going to be nerding out while the record button has been hit. So we're capturing this conversation. So thank you for coming onto the show. Thanks for being my guest today. I know people as they listen to this, um, you're likely to share a story that inspires them. So before we jump into the interview. I do want to give you the opportunity to just mention how individuals can get a hold of you and which ways to follow your organization, your personal journey. And you've got a new podcast now. So I want you to have the chance to plug those things and then we'll jump in and we'll get started with this episode.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I, uh, I'm nervous because I feel like it's one of those things where you and I have always been kind of geeking out, you know, where, where nobody can actually listen to us. And I feel like we're funnier and smarter um, when nobody else is there. So uh, it'll be up to your listeners to decide if, <laughs> if there's actual value in what we say. Um, but as far as kind of hearing more about from me, so I haven't scared you away today. Um, I do uh, have a podcast. It's called Zero Excuses. Um, just look it up, kind of anywhere you get your your general podcasts. Uh, the basic premise is um, basically to, to eliminate the fact of, hey, I can't do this because I don't have enough time, I don't have this, or I don't have enough money, um, and kind of getting rid of some of those factors. So interviewing. Kind of leaders who are also great spouses, great parents, doing amazing things in the community, kind of having kind of achieving amazing athletic feats or writing national bestsellers or kind of, kind of tackling some huge things. So, um, so, that's the podcast. You can hear kind of a lot of kind of my general philosophies there, but then probably more importantly is kind of get inspired by, by other people. It's a short podcast, it's 20 to 25 minutes long. Um, and then LinkedIn is, is the second one. So I post a lot on LinkedIn. Uh, about kind of what we're doing as a company or kind of my philosophies on some key things. And um, and so I think uh, the best general ways is, again, listen um, and subscribe to Zero Excuses and then obviously friend me on LinkedIn. So just say you heard me on the podcast, I get kind of part of having a CEO title means that about 30 people a day hit me up on LinkedIn. So just say you've heard me on this podcast and I'd be happy to accept the invite and look forward to connecting.
0: Yeah. in the last name Smiralli. Has um, individuals seek you out, it's not a very common last name. So I think they'll have no problem finding you on, on LinkedIn.
1: Yes, I, uh, there's actually two of us in the country, um, and we're actually friends. We've never met before, and no, we actually talked to each other, but we kind of connected just because we're the, the two lone Nick Smorellis in the world. So, uh, so yeah, So I'm the Nick Smorellis in Indianapolis, just in case you run across the other individual.
0: Yeah, we'll friend them both, though. Sure. I'd say he's, he's
1: an interesting guy too, frankly. I think it's, maybe it comes with the name. I mean, if you've got a ridiculous name, you've got to perhaps have a ridiculous personality. Yeah. you got to step into the light.
0: Yes. I mean, In, Tom West, not the yeah. uh, not no. the crazy name. No, not very glitzy at all. That means I can just be a normal person.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, which is great. And people, But people remember what your last name is. People get so much anxiety saying mine, I feel like I just get passed up on things because I'm, like, I'm just never going <laughs> to pronounce that one.
0: Yeah, it's just Nick ass for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, I've, in, I've enjoyed your guys' podcast episodes. I love watching your posts and comments on LinkedIn. I love seeing the organization that you're a part of grow and be recognized. A lot of your activity on LinkedIn is about GoodellNet and the amazing things you guys are doing. So I would encourage everyone to listen to this episode and to, you know, get online, subscribe to Zero Excuses and to check you guys out on LinkedIn. You're doing some cool stuff.
1: Thanks, Tom.
0: Cool. So, uh, in that I'm sure all those things are keeping you busy. So, for you to carve out some time and hang out with me, I'm very grateful. Um, so, I'm going to try to make good use of that time and I'm going to start us off with our first question. So, Nick, what is the thing that nerds you out the most?
1: See, the problem is, I, I, when you mentioned this question would be the kind of the lead, I was like, there's so many things I get, I get kind of geeked out about, but I would say probably the primary one is um, I think building. A, a value-driven company culture. Um, I feel like that is as nerdy as you could possibly get that this is what gets me out of bed every day. But, but for me, it's kind of creating a place where, where people kind of have a, a really strong purpose, love to come to work most days, and kind of feel a sense of achievement when they leave the office at the end of the day. So I would say that that's probably the thing that I, I find the most valuable, and I find myself veering towards articles or Uh, conversations or just in general, kind of find myself uh, following that direction?
0: Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of individuals are becoming more curious about this idea of either purpose-driven or value-driven organizations. So I think I'm probably citing this wrong, but maybe about two years ago, I was at a conference and they were talking about the importance of culture. And a lot of individuals, because I come from a finance background, really see culture as soft and uh, hard to quantify and definitely even more hard to assign dollars to in the form of monetary value. So at this conference, they were talking about a portfolio of organizations that were all purpose-driven or value-driven organizations, and they kind of created an index out of them and those companies that fit that definition of being value-driven or pr- purpose-driven were outperforming the S&P in regards to the results that they were achieving as an organization. So I, I've seen a lot of conversation about this, the importance of this. And the typical place where people dug their hills in is, well, yeah, that sounds nice, but we've got you know costs to manage and profits to achieve. And it sounds like in some circles, people have found out that those things naturally fall in place if you can invest your time and energy in creating these cultures. So I'm excited to be having this conversation because I think it's very timely. As uh, right now, a lot of people are displaced and needing a touchstone because there's a lot of anxiety right now and uncertainty in culture is one of those things that really creates stability for people. So as we continue our conversation, I want to dive in a little bit on that. How do you continue to drive culture when people are remote? But that's going to be a question I put kind of in the back of our mind and we'll get there. But to follow up on this thing that you nerd out about, I'm curious, you know, how, how did this come to be for you? Why is it important to you as an individual? And, you know, uh, how, how did you become awakened to that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think for us, the industry that we're in, on the whole, has a 40% year-over-year turnover rate. Um, and again, I feel like that's a st- statistic that I come back to a lot because it's a scary reality of if I do my job poorly, that's where we could be. And that's an average, which means, um, again, we're, we last year we had a 97% retention, both voluntary and involuntary of employees, which means we're hiring well, we're not having to let anybody go, and people are sticking around. Again, we're far from perfect. And so let me put that caveat to anything I say is we're still kind of in our growth journey ourselves. But the reality is, you know, doing my job poorly um, would create a system where, again, one out of every two people are gone by the end, in the next 12 months. And and that's a scary reality for our clients and just kind of building stability uh, as an organization. And so for me, I think that's a good starting point is, okay, well, how do I prevent that from happening? But I think the reality is, I think it started way earlier. I think one of the things that I respect my parents for very much is uh, kind of instilling a good sense of, Of kind of core values. And and the fun thing about being a business owner um, is my core values kind of become the company core values. So, us as an organization, we have kind of three core values that make up who we are. So, core value one is this idea of making an impact. And and I would say for me, making an impact comes from, uh, again, I think my parents uh, really kind of pushing upon that as a value of kind of how do you impact your world, impact your peers, impact your community. Um, my sister has Down syndrome. And so for me, I've always had this sense of I was given uh, in some capacities different gifts, but, but certainly, uh, again, from a uh, working in the business world, kind of more profound gifts in order to kind of contribute to, to the working society. And so I think for me, I think that's weighed heavily upon me to say, you know, because me and then everybody else I employ have been given these gifts, we must use them to our maximum capacity. So that's really kind of driven a lot for me. Um, the next one, and probably are the one that we cite the most, is this concept called grow or die. Which, again, I always joked that my HR person almost murdered me when I said that this is the the values, just because it sounds so draconian. But um, kind of having this growth oriented mindset, and the best part about having a growth oriented mindset is, is a, you get to learn every day, and you're always improving, and you're always getting better, which I love. And b, if you screw up, you have an opportunity to say like, hey, this was a learning experience, and as long as you a, are humble enough to solicit feedback, and b, don't make the mistake again you've really set yourself with a really good culture. So it's also made, again, you, you kind of say, the why do I do this is, it's really made my job easier because at the end of the day, I don't have to be perfect because in a growth-oriented culture, by me leading the way of making a mistake with them asking questions, becoming kind of curious and then learning from it, it really sets the stage for nobody expects me to be perfect. And that's probably one of the worst feelings as a leader is this feeling of you are not allowed to make a mistake or else you're a bad leader. Um, and then the last one really is this kind of grow or die excuse me, uh, 100% accountability. And that for me is, it, again, that's even kind of why the, the podcast is called Zero Excuses is this idea of kind of you own the, uh, you own your future, you own how you react to things, um, and really kind of putting a lot of accountability on, on, on myself, but then also on our employees. And again, this also absolves me of, of uh, having to solve all the problems. And so I always tell people that if you're complaining to your wife or your spouse about something that's going on at Cadellnet, and you are not the one helping to fix it, then that's on you. That's not on me. Um, that's on you. And so it, it helps kind of absolve me of the pressure of having to solve all the problems because frankly, I'm probably not the smartest person in the room. So the people that are living it day to day can help solve those problems. So kind of having this really kind of foundational set of values that I've always had as a human and that I really brought to the company has kind of helped crystallize who we are and has taken us I would say 2015, we were probably 30 to 40 percent turnover. To again, this, this past year, we were about three, and, and this year's kind of starting the same way. So, as I'm saying this, however, I'm knocking on wood. Um, <laughs> I could be as pragmatic and thoughtful as you want, but I'm still, I'll still be a little bit uh, suspicious. But um, yeah, so again, I think we really kind of put that foundation down of really kind of helping focus on those values and, and bring that culture together.
0: And I, I think. The recipe has not been in what the three are. It's more what they're about. And these are very personal human behaviors. You see a lot of organizations when they create their values, they come up with important words, but those words are more like um, nouns and not really actionable. And they're hard to embody in the way you behave or the, the mantra in which you carry yourself in. So in regards to the three that you guys have, they're all very action-oriented and it's very clear how individuals can live these things out. And, and they have a role model in their leader that lives these things every day. And I think that's another piece of values is when an organization you know, sets out and defines them, whether through brainstorming or facilitated exercise, or something they put pen to paper, you know, it's not really something that any one person innately um, has, but it's a collection of things. Therefore, every leader then has to grow themselves to, to fit into all of them. And sometimes you'll see like seven or eight values exist within an organization. And that's really hard for any one leader to be effective in communicating, to be effective in role modeling even creates challenging challenges in that person understanding what those things are. You guys kept them really concentrated. It's these three things and here's the behaviors that are important to us. And because they originated from one person who obviously vetted these with other individuals just to kind of gut check them, but it wasn't this deliberation, this ongoing exercise where the values got so diluted that not any one person understood what they meant. You Went with what you had, and you just found a way to make them stronger. I think that's created great results for you guys. What do you have you seen that? I know you speak a lot at organizations about the results you guys are getting, and as you come into those organizations, do you ever see that maybe the values they have are poorly defined, or maybe they're defined well, but they're not really executed in the in the daily activities of that organization?
1: Oh, there's no question. I mean, I think I feel like. Again, I feel like this is perhaps a classic kind of business case study. But you always look at the the values of of Enron, where it was just like it was it was integrity, it was teamwork, it was and you were just like it was the least honest company out there. And so, I think the reality is what I found is, and again, we've got them on our wall um, in both of the offices. So don't get me wrong; it's we we have it up there. But the reality is kind of integrating that into the fabric of everything you do. So for us, the big hurdle was. Here are our values, and then having to make the insanely hard, kind of emotional decision for having to remove individuals in the organization that didn't align with those values. I mean, that was the first thing that we did, and that was five or six years ago, so I'm thankful that that's kind of a distant memory, but really finding those that just don't believe in it. And then finding and hiring to those so again, even our questions in an interview process, they're literally ranked of the make an impact question, the hundred percent accountability questions and the grow die questions. Like, so from there, our performance reviews have the words, any program that we roll out uses those words. I can't imagine having a fourth or a fifth or a seventh, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just too hard. And I I think it's, it's amazing to me as a leader is I think I've said our values 150,000 times today. And I probably said them a third as much as I probably should have is kind of having too many things, it just distills the message out that it doesn't mean anything. So mm-hmm. I think truly integrating it to every piece. So I, there's not a letter that I send, I send out a weekly give or take a uh, letter to my team. There's not a program they put in place. There's not a reward that goes out that doesn't tie back to that. Mm-hmm. We even have like a peers recognition thing. And the only way you can send that is if you tie it back to a value. So creating this true, you know, we talk about it as a common vocabulary, but really kind of tra- creating this true font, common vocabulary means that it's in the forefront of everything that we do. Um, so it's not just these trite things that we said, Oh, we've created, we made them and you know, the executive came up with these, um, you know, five different values. No, they live it. Um, mm-hmm. and it's easy for us to make decisions from it. And it's easy to identify those that don't believe in it. And, and I think that's, that's incredibly important that they're specific enough that you can say, you are not somebody who lives a growth mindset. You are not humble. You are not, willing to take feedback. When you do take feedback, you take it personally. Like that's not somebody who believes in what we believe and we make sure to try to weed those people out, but we help coach them and, and really kind of help get them to understand who we are. But like I said, there's not a meeting that goes by that don't at least say each of the values at least once.
0: Yeah. That, that reinforcement and the the dialogue are important so that they stay top of mind you know, has or has individuals come into the organization? Sure, you've got an orientation period, and they're learning the culture. But I've seen a lot of people overemphasize there and fail to repeat it after that ninety-day period has happened. Like a lot of focus on values and we're this, and then after that orientation period, those things fall into the backdrop and the the hurricane or the chaos of every day take over and those things are forgotten. They're they're not talked about, they're not applied. And it sounds like you guys have intentionally integrated them in your hiring practices, your evaluation processes, your rewards recognition processes. And I'm sure that took you time to get there. Um, but that's a great example of what good values look like. It's not just printed and put on the wall, but they're used to you know, facilitate decision making. They're the compass of the organization. They're used to make decisions about who joins your team. And that's a good thing because you're setting that person up for success. They're they're coming into a place where they're going to to be welcomed and where they're going to have a home and a family, whereas some individuals go through the interviewing process and, you know, there's that. There's red flags that might exist, and they don't have those difficult conversations with the individual and they bring them on board, and those assumptions were right. that person is incompatible, and because of that, they're not enjoying their work, and you know they're suffering, and the organization's suffering, and it's just a vicious cycle and I think if you do value based hiring and use your values to evaluate and make decisions on who gets promotions and how rewards and recognitions are. Provided and administered, you know, the, the, the picture becomes more complete and your culture becomes more robust. And people have a home and a family. Whereas if it was sporadic and inconsistent and everyone was acting and behaving in whichever way they wanted, that can become toxic to a culture.
1: There's no question. And I think, um, and I think if they see dissonance in they being employees, where I'm out there saying and trumpeting X value, and then I either allow employees to act in complete, kind of completely opposite to that value, or even worse, if I act completely opposite to that value, you've lost all substance. I mean, mm-hmm. at which point it's 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 non-substantive. And, and I think at that point, it's you've now went from, hey, I want to create these great values to I'm now actually probably in a worse position than I was even before you created some substance. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there's, and again, I, I use this example, it's, I feel like it's becoming less relevant, but it, it stands for right now is, I used to do CrossFit a ton. And if you go to a CrossFit gym in Indianapolis, you go to a CrossFit gym in New York City, you go to a CrossFit gym in Shanghai, China, they're speaking the same language or talking about the same things or probably eating paleo. They're using the same equipment. They've got the same stuff. And I think that that is so important with creating a strong value-based company culture is, again, my team, they talk very much the same way. They have the same values. They're similar in, again, I always try to distinguish company values versus personal values, how they choose to apply them, man, it's completely different. I love it. I love how people come in with, you know, totally different life experiences, but at the end of the day, they're in there to, to kind of be a part of an organization that has been so well defined that they feel comfort. I think having any of that ambiguity really takes people away from being comfortable, but it's why, again, to the CrossFit analogy is, you know, if I'm sitting in Shanghai, and they put a workout on the, the wall. I could do the workout. And I wouldn't have to speak the same language. But I just know because there's a, there's a similar sense of values across uh, anybody who is doing that sport. And that's the feeling that I want to produce. You go to either branch offices or you kind of talk to any of the new employees or people that have been around for 10 years. Everyone's kind of speaking and doing the same thing with that value as a end.
0: And I think that creates stability and standards. And a lot of people have a negative type response when we use the word standardized. But if you don't have a process or a standard to start from, it's really, really hard to improve and even more difficult to innovate. So if you don't know what your processes are and what the expectations are or the standards are, how are you ever going to grow from there? So defining these for your employees puts them in a position to where they're not guessing. They're not responding to variation and they're not spending a lot of their time being confused, but they know clearly what the expectations are. And they then are in a position to where they can not just meet those expectations, but they can exceed them. And then on the opposite side of that, your customers are getting reliability is they have consistency in regards to the level of service they're getting from your organization. I know that's another a word I had seen get that be bestowed recently was customer satisfaction results were very high and your customers were recommending you. And I think the fact that you're giving them such consistent service and great service, in some ways, they're growing your business for you. They're telling their peers and the circles that they are going within that you guys are, are great and that you should be top of the list in, in regards to... Um, you know, a service organization that those other people partner with. So are you, are you seeing a lot of positive word of mouth in your employees, one helping to recruit new employees and uh, customers referring for you, basically doing your lead generation?
1: Um, I mean, honestly, again, you talk about kind of, why do I, do I do what I do? Um, You know, again, it's not all just unicorns and rainbows. There is really kind of tangible um, kind of, I would say metrics that have come in place that that we can kind of track as well. So you mentioned um, employee references. Mm -hmm. I think the number, it's in the lower sixties, and I don't want to quote it specifically, but it's in the lower sixties of number of new employees that have come on board as a reference of an existing employee, which is huge for us. I mean, obviously again, we're in a very tight job market and it's hard to find great people. And so the fact that a we're finding people and B we're having people come in with other friends that they know, Mm-hmm. which means that they're building social circles within the organization. It's just it's just a win all around. So we track that pretty heavily. Um, and then the second one is our clients. I think the number is about the same. I think it's a little bit lower. It's in, the, it's in the 50s in terms of number of signed clients that came as a reference from our own. So again, it does pay dividends. And where I, I mean, there's very few things that I get super excited about. And as much as if a client creates an email reference that somehow makes it to my inbox and they use the words, Make an impact, responsibility, or growth in there, like into their email. I know I've done something right. Like it has now transcended just this is kind of our co- company culture. To our clients are feeling it so well that they are sharing us and they're using some of our vocabulary to to share with others. And it's just like there's a sense of pride that this has become again instead of just this nebulous dream concept into something really tangible that people are seeing. And I, I feel like that that's And that's why I wake up every morning and come to work.
0: Yeah, it's almost like the multiplier effect of, you know, it started as an idea within your head, values that you grew up by, that you used to um, make an impact and to drive and and achieve according to um, accountability. And there was no excuses there. So, you know, in regards to you as an individual, it, it resonated. And then you had a circle that, uh, of individuals that surrounded you, and you mentioned them to, to those individuals, and they helped sharpen those things. In some ways, they adopted it for themselves. And then that just kind of created somewhat of this growth curve of these ideas create value for me, value for teams, values for my organization. And now these values are going outside of the four walls of Gadelnet and they're impacting. Our, our partners and the people that we um, provide service to and to the community members in the areas in which we conduct business. And th- that has got to feel great to see that impact. That's even harder to quantify. And I think it's more the anecdotal stories that you see of people including them in their emails or maybe applying them in their households of in the way that they parent or The way that they challenge themselves personally or professionally, and those things you may never see, but without a doubt, they're happening. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, yeah, I don't even, I don't even think we have to ask the 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 other question of how does this idea intersect with improvement? Because that was just a lot of examples of how being values driven can help you as an individual help teams and organizations and communities have an accelerant to, uh, you know, use in, in order to grow and get better and improve. And those things are playing out over and over again as a result of you having the bravery to put these things out in the universe to start with. And there's a lot of people who have just as good of ideas that are afraid to share them because they're not open to what may happen once they speak them and put them out there and, and, with your personality, you were one of those individuals I know who's like, I'm just going to see what happens. Like, I know I'm far from perfect, but I think this could be cool. And let's just see what happens by taking this next step. And then that leads to the next step, and the next step. So for the people listening in, I would encourage them to just, you know, embrace their ideas and uh, share them. And as you share those things, I think you'll find that individual's, that sharpen those ideas will find their way to you. They don't have to be completely compatible with them. And I'm not saying, you know, just clone you and that becomes the five people you're always around. But share your ideas and those people who believe in those ideas too and can complement those ideas will start to surround you. Have you sensed that like your circle of friends and your um, connections have started to you know, respond to your ideas and contribute to your ideas and just help you become better?
1: I, again, I think in part, perhaps because I've found people that challenge me. Um, I, always, I always joke that I'm, I need to find new friends um, because at any point, there is always somebody who's doing something faster, better, bigger than I am, whether it's running a company better than I do or running a race better than I do or more active in their kids' lives and doing these amazing things with them. And it's just I'm perpetually surrounding myself with people that are just a modicum better than, than me. Um, and I think that's, again, I would say, I would argue that that's a reason for some of my success. I've, I've hung out with successful people. And to your point around a clone, A, the world does not need any more no. <laughs> of me, um, is, is surrounding yourself. Again, you find these people with similar values. Again, my friends or, the, or my executive team, you know, those, those folks share and love the values of the internet just as much as I do but they approach them in such different ways is mm-hmm. I am really good at so many things and I'm really bad at so many things. Um, and I think part of maybe, maybe part of my growth curve or maturity is kind of recognizing what I'm good at and what I'm bad at and surrounding myself with people that kind of complement those. Um, they help me improve, but in the business sense is I've really said, okay, what is the most way again to be impactful? Well, the most way to be impactful is not to have a bunch of Nick Morellis. It's you need a Nick Morelli Um, because he's going to drive and help make people feel uncomfortable and and have everybody want to get better. Um, But you need the other individuals who are kind of putting their head downs and and solving the hard problems and the people that are getting all the details right, because I'm just going to skip over them. Um, (laughs) And people like you, Tom, that forced me to follow a process Um, instead of saying, I'm the smartest person. I'm going to go ahead and just solve this issue right now where you haven't been kind of thoughtful and pragmatic. So you surround yourself with people that Again, I think I think you're a good example is you and I have so many similar values, mm-hmm. but we approach problems so differently. And I think that that's a complementary approach that has been successful in the, the few years that you and I have kind of had a business relationship outside of a personal one.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I've seen since I started my own company and putting, so I, I was less outspoken and I have a lot of introversion tendencies. So to put my ideas out in the universe was completely terrifying. I know some people it's pretty easy and sometimes they do too much of it. And then there's other people that have found the right balance. and They do it in a way that's very healthy. And then you have other individuals on the other side of the spectrum that would never share an idea, even if it was an a idea that would change the world. They were too shy or too afraid or, um, had stories that they'd made up in their head that prevented them from putting it out in the universe. And the thing is, those are the people we need to be contributing right now, is the ones that have sat back and observed and have these profound ideas that need to get out of their heads and out into the world. And I think if those things happened, you know, smaller circles would form, those circles would become bigger, and ideas would start to grow. And that's how I think GDLNet has been successful is it's not any one individual that is causing your guys' success, but it's the whole team contributing according to their strengths that allow them to go from ideas to action and action to results. And it's great to watch. And I'm curious, you know, how, how is that still happening now with what's happening with COVID-19 where your workforce is pretty displaced? So you have all these individuals, you have a really strong culture. And this pollinating of ideas seems to be easier when they're all in the same room together and they're seeing face-to-face and their relationships are, you know, uh, growing through those interactions. But now those people who came to work every day and had a sense of family, now they're at home and they're away from each other. So how are you guys creating your culture with your workforce when they're experiencing this disruption and they're not together physically, but are having to work virtually. What are you guys doing to help that?
1: Absolutely. And that's scary. I mean, I, I, I recognize one of my favorite things that, about the office is you kind of walk in and there's like a general hum. There's people working around. There's, there's kind of get the, the people that are laughing in the corner. There's somebody who's asking a question. There's somebody who's kind of throwing something at somebody else. Um, I mean, you, you kind of get the, the little uh, anecdotes every day that I walk in and hear about kind of how things are going. I mean, you miss on all of those things when you're fully remote culture. Mm-hmm. So one, we had a, a bit of a leg up. I'm the CEO of a company. I work out of our Indianapolis office with the headquarters in St. Louis. So two thirds of my staff actually aren't, don't see me on a day-to-day basis anyway. Um, and two, we already have a fairly flexible remote work policy. So we ask that people come into the office at least two to three days a week. So most mm-hmm. people are kind of working and splitting their time half and half. So we've already had some practice at this. So I, I, I say that with, with a little bit of just kind of background to explain kind of where we are right now. But A, the shift hasn't been too bad just yet. For us, it has become a very purposeful use of video conferencing. Uh, we use Microsoft Teams, which is, again, if you're not familiar, it's kind of like Slack, but it's a kind of a group chatting function where we share, we have what we call cheers for peers. It's a, it's a tool that, hey, Tom, great work on that presentation earlier today. Loved working with you. Or, hey, Nick, um, thanks for sending out that big newsletter about XYZ. We send over a hundred of those a week. So it can, you can kind of see all the level of interaction. All of our client feedback is rolling at any time. So people are hearing and seeing, okay, you know, even though I haven't seen this person, look, I've seen that they made a client happy when they were over there. So we do a lot of that. Insane amounts of communication from me to the extent that I feel like I'm being obnoxious, but they get almost a daily email from me of just, this is where we are. This is what we're feeling. This is where I see us going. Your job is safe. You are safe. And we're trying to get
0: things done. Yeah, um yeah that level of transparency yeah that level of transparency is necessary right now cuz oh, cuz yes. we were talking about that the spectrum of the way people feel safe to share their ideas the, right now with moving to virtual um you know those individuals who are often quiet and sitting on the sidelines that i think potentially they're going they can become more quiet because I think they get their bravery by being around other people and seeing those people take risk and they're like okay I've seen this happen enough that I know that one person has shared ideas and they weren't fired because of it and no one laughed at them so they start to get courage because confidence is displayed by one person and the, the people around them just see that and they start to grow individually to say you know I I think I'm going to put myself out there too but as you move to a virtual work environment it's harder to see people's um risk taking or excitement or emotions, so it sounds like as you guys are doing reward and recognition in your communication, you're not just sharing facts but you're sharing stories and pictures and trying to use video as much as possible so that people can still see one another' because I think that's an important part of staying connected right now It's that the pictures and the images and um, just the stories right now are are going to help people stay connected to each other. Just a question. We, I
1: mean, we're we're. I think next week we're doing a virtual happy hour um, where everyone's <laughs> going to hop online. I think there's going to be like two or three sub happy hours where people can kind of fall into different groups. I think there's going to be like a selfie contest. There's going to be a you know dress like your dog. I mean, we're just trying to do fun ways to engage. And and again, we're all now under cash pressure. Um, everyone's revenue is going to go down. You have a bunch of people are, so. None of these ideas cost any money. And I think mm-hmm. that's a big thing for us too, is we're a growing company. So all, almost all of our ideas that we've implemented as an organization are fairly low cost. Um, certainly there's some capital expenses to them, but um, I think for me is, A, again, to your point, making people feel safe and over-communicating and seeing the faces. I think reinforcing, again, we're a people-oriented company and we say we're a people-oriented company and that's super easy to do when things are awesome and you're, you're making a profit. Um, but, I don't anticipate making a profit for the next few months. And so for us is how do we take care of people during those times? That's the time that says I have strong values or I have weak values and they go to the wayside when things get tough. And I I think you're going to learn a lot about which companies thrive and succeed. And I think, um, again, I I do believe growth comes from being outside your comfort zone and speaking for myself, um, I am outside of my comfort zone right now. And I've shared that with the group, that this is not comfortable for me either but I'm also strong enough to lead the organization and make them feel confident. So finding the happy medium of, of confidence and humility
0: is interesting in a time of global pandemic. Yes, I, I don't think I could have said it any better. And I think that's such a positive note to conclude our episode on, is that when times are tough as an organization, what you continue doing speaks volumes about who you are as a leader and who you are as an organization. and. A lot of organizations are experiencing disruption and stress and have financial concerns. And in those situations, they are withholding investments in training or in culture or in communication. And that sends a bad message to organizations, whereas those who like, no, this is who we are and we are unwavering on these things and we're doubling down in these areas, it communicates very clearly to the workforce is that we're we're going to come out of this side better, of this thing better than we went into it because we're not going to be, um, we're not going to sacrifice the things that created success for us. We're staying true to our values. We're staying true to our purpose, and those things on the other side of this is going to create success that we can't even describe right now. So, the way that you guys are preparing for enduring this this period is, you know touching those values every day. And I think that on the other side of this, those values are going to be what differentiates you um, once this all settles. So I'm just impressed with you as a leader. I always love nerding out with you and, you know, I can't wait to, to just, just sit back and watch Cadellnet continue to grow and redefine what it means to be an organization that makes an impact.
1: Well, thanks. Well, I appreciate it. I always appreciate the support. and. Like I said, it's always good to have somebody who sees the world slightly differently. Um, again, I credit, like I said, people like you for for helping me do my job better. So thanks for uh, thanks for making the time to, to spend with
0: me today. Yes, thank you.